Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 622 for the 16th of December, 2018. This week, Adobe's InDesign 2019 adds several new features that are close enough to magic for designers to wonder where Merlin is hiding. The two most remarkable enhancements use artificial intelligence to size and position images and to modify page contents if the page size needs to be changed. In short circuits, renaming your computer is as easy as renaming your cat, and sometimes it's a good idea because the computer's default name will be useless. You're on your own with the cat. Crooks who use phishing emails are getting smarter. That means we users need to get smarter, too. Updates to Adobe's photography applications in December are subtle, but some of them will make profound workflow changes at your discretion. In spare parts, only on the website, this is the time of the year for phony shipping messages. If you're looking for cheap airfares, one online service says the key to success is flexibility. A new service aims to make logins from mobile devices easier and thereby to improve financial performance for companies. Movable type was a revolutionary change in communications centuries ago, and hot lead type was still being used for many major publications as late as the 1980s. But photo typesetting had begun to take over, and then suddenly, PageMaker and Ventura Publisher put typesetting in the reach of anyone who owned a computer. Both of those programs were discontinued years ago, and InDesign is almost the only game in town now. First, let's consider what InDesign is and who it's for. Because design is right there in the name, you doubtless know that it's for designers. But which designers? After all, isn't Illustrator for designers? And some designers use Photoshop. The various Creative Cloud applications give designers all of the tools they need for the job. The trick sometimes is choosing the right one. In general, Illustrator is used to create icons, symbols, logos, and sometimes full-page compositions. Photoshop is usually the right choice, beyond its photographic uses, to design objects that will be used on websites. InDesign is the application that's used for magazines, booklets, brochures, and sometimes single-page layouts. It's also the right choice when many people are involved in the production process, because a single InDesign manager can give writers, editors, photographers, graphic designers, and others access to parts of the publication with a companion application called InCopy. Unfortunately, Adobe refuses to provide even a short list of clients that use InDesign. Consensus among designers I've talked to is that a substantial number of publishers have adopted InDesign, perhaps a majority. In fact, that's likely. So I tried searching for companies that are currently advertising for InDesign professionals. That list includes the Washington Post, Farmers Insurance Group, Progressive Business Media, IBM, the University of Colorado at Boulder, 
Penn State University, Macy's, Discover Financial Services, the New York City Office of the Mayor, Crocs, Bank of America, ADP, and a lot of design agencies. Additionally, several Facebook groups are revealing. InDesign has 7,400 members. InDesign Secrets, 5,800 members. Adobe InDesign itself, 740,000 members. And InDesign Magazine, 7,800 members. Those are all on Facebook. And searching Adobe's Behance website shows a huge range of print design projects that use InDesign. Clearly, this application is used by a lot of people and some large organizations, even if Adobe isn't willing or able to identify them. So InDesign is the application that will be used for large, complex documents that will be produced on a printing press, with possible optional output to the web or ebook formats. The 2019 version has dozens of new features and improvements, but I'd like to concentrate on the five that seem to offer the most significant advantages for designers. To keep this as simple as possible, I'll create a single-page document that I'll use on the TechBiter Worldwide website to illustrate the changes, and I'm using an A4 paper size. A4 is the European paper size that's closest to letter size used in the U.S. You'll see why I chose A4 instead of letter in a little bit. The document has a headline that spans the text columns and an introductory paragraph that spans columns and is set in caps and small caps. The text in the document is nonsense Latin. It's called Greeking. If you wonder why Latin text is called Greeking, it, well, maybe it's because of the expression, it's Greek to me. In any event, it is meaningless text that is simply used to illustrate what a document will look like before the final text is available. I wanted to have an image on the page, so I placed it in a frame. The image is larger than the frame, so it doesn't really work out very well. Now, until now, the best option would be to fill the frame proportionally. That's actually a pretty powerful bit of technology. But that creates a crop that would need to be adjusted. The new content-aware fit does a remarkable job of analyzing the image and cropping it so that the most essential parts are visible. Now, picky designers may still want to make some minor adjustments, but Adobe's artificial intelligence adjustments will save time and effort. That's why I rate this one as the most significant change for the 2019 edition. Those who design print publications pay careful attention to details. The typeface, the size of the typeface, the amount of space between the lines, space above and below the lines, space between paragraphs, and a lot more. Creating a numbered list or a bulleted list with space before or after the list, but not within the list, used to be a problem. A paragraph style with space before and space after would have the space applied within the list where nobody wanted it. The designer would then have to create an override for the first and last paragraph to add the required space above and below, or create a special style for the first paragraph, the last paragraph, and the bullets. Now there's a new setting for space between paragraphs in the same style. Setting this value to zero eliminates all of the extra space between the paragraphs, but settings could also be used to just reduce the space without eliminating it, or even if for some reason you wanted to do that, to increase the space between. 
Adobe's software engineers have also been improving the properties panel in all of the applications. This is the panel that changes depending on what's selected. Placing the cursor in a line of text displays a lot of information about either the style of the text or the style of the paragraph. In the example you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website, I have the paragraph style selected. The user can then change the paragraph style, or create a new style, change the color of the text, change the fill, add a stroke to the letter, even specify the stroke's size, color, and line type. In the character section, the typeface, size, weight, and line spacing can be changed, along with kerning for individual characters and overall tracking. The ellipsis dots that are below the section provide access to even more character settings. The paragraph setting is where the justification can be specified, and clicking the ellipsis dots displays more properties there. The user can switch between bullets and numbering, and change some other options. A lot of stuff there. Probably the most useful addition to the Properties panel is Quick Actions. That's where you'll find commonly used actions that might be several layers deep in the menu structure. Inserting a footnote, for example, that now requires just a single click instead of selecting an option from the menu. And the menu, of course, is at the top of the screen, so the mouse has to run all over the place. Poor little thing gets tired. Typefaces are more accessible from within the application now, as they are in other Creative Cloud applications. When text is selected, that actual text will appear in the font browser, and the face will be substituted in the document as the user scrolls through the list of available faces. And if you're looking for a truly remarkable new feature, although one that probably won't be used very often, it's called Layout Adjustment. This is something that should occur infrequently, but it does happen. Let's say you've designed a document and the client loves it, but then needs it to be a different size. Now you see why I started with an A4 design. Maybe the document was made initially for distribution in Europe, but now it needs to be used in the United States. Making a change like this for a single page document wouldn't be difficult but it would involve changing the page size, the margins, adjusting the position of photographs, maybe even resizing them, and more. Automating that process may not get everything exactly right, but it'll save a lot of time for the designer. I tried a couple of options. First, changing the page size from A4 to letter worked reasonably well, but a small plus sign appeared at the lower right corner of the page. That means that the text has been overset, Overset means that not all of the text fits on the page. For many designers, that would be the preferred option, because InDesign hasn't changed the text size. Instead, the photograph could be resized to provide more space for text, or the text itself could be edited a bit to reduce the number of words until everything fit. The new option is what I tried second. InDesign can be allowed to modify the size of the text. I did that and everything fit properly. The text was reduced from 12 points set on 14 to 11.4 points set on 13.3 points. Changing type size is controversial. Some designers accept it, others are vehemently opposed. The change proposed by InDesign is slightly more than half a point. It has a minimal effect on legibility. Those who enforce baseline positioning in their documents would, though, probably need to restore line spacing to 14 points. This feature, 
and others introduced with this version will continue to mature and improve. For now, it's a highly usable first start on a complex function that has the potential to save a lot of time when page sizes need to be modified. So the bottom line here for InDesign, still five cats, just pretty much like always. InDesign may have the largest part of the market share, but developers continue to innovate like it's a newcomer. In the 1990s, Quark Express had most of the page layout market, and that's when Adobe began designing what they called a Quark killer. With no small amount of help from Quark's own attitude toward clients, InDesign knocked off Express, and with help from Corel's mismanagement of Ventura Publisher, ended that application's run too. Instead of relaxing, Adobe continues to add more useful features to each new version of InDesign. You'll find additional details on the Adobe website with a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. In short circuits, how about giving your computer a new name? When you bring home a cat from a shelter, the cat has a name, but you can change it. My favorite cat of all time came to us as Jax. He was quickly renamed to Tangerine. I mention this because you can also rename your computer. Manufacturers give computers names so that they can be identified on a network, but you don't have to keep that name. My primary computer's name is Laptop-FAPU06JL, not a name that rolls easily off the tongue. I haven't bothered to rename this computer because I recognize its name and nobody else in the household cares what it's called. But maybe you'd like to change the name of your PC to make it easier to identify in a listing. There are a couple of ways to do this. Because Windows 10 no longer offers a network mapping feature, I recommend using your router's rename function. This will affect the router's network map. Most routers have something like what Netgear offers. That's the image you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The network map displays all connected devices and offers an option to rename each of them. Double-clicking one of the devices displays the IP address, the MAC address, the device name, and the device type. Only the name and type can be changed. The IP address is either issued when the device connects to the network or is a static IP address that's assigned permanently. The Media Access Control, or MAC address, has been assigned by the manufacturer and cannot be changed. Changing the name using the router modifies the display name only when you use the router's network map. But that's probably sufficient because Windows no longer offers a network view, and network mapping tools are needlessly complex, or expensive, or both, for home use. If you decide to change the computer's actual name instead of just its router-based alias, start with the control panel, navigate to System and About, then click Rename This PC. That'll open a new dialog box. Type the new name and click Next you'll have to reboot the computer to finish the process. And you should note that computer names can be a maximum of 15 characters. They cannot duplicate the name of another PC on the network. The names can consist only of letters, numbers, and hyphens, and they must contain at least one letter. So no all numeric computer names. 
Phishing scammers are getting smarter. We have to, too. Spotting basic phishing emails isn't really terribly difficult. The ones created by crooks who aren't much smarter than pet rocks make so many mistakes that the fraudulent intent is obvious. Those who create spear phishing campaigns, though, are much smarter. Spear phishing used to be aimed almost exclusively at business or government managers and individuals with high amounts of income. This has changed, and more of us who aren't managers and who aren't anywhere near being members of the one percenters group now see sophisticated spear phishing attempts. They're common around holidays because people tend to be busy before and after a holiday, and they may pay less attention to details. That's exactly what the crooks want. Businesses in particular often have a lot of people on vacation, and that increases the danger. No matter how realistic a message appears, it's always wise to take a few seconds examining it. Does the message contain poor spelling or grammar that would seem out of character for the person who appears to have sent it? And what about the message itself? Is it the kind of message you would expect to receive from the apparent sender? Is the sender's email address what you would expect? Those who are more cautious will probably take a few extra seconds to look at the routing headers. Does the message's request seem unusual? Any request for financial information or action should be suspect. If the message claims to be from the CEO to the Accounts Payable Department and it requests a secret payment that must be made immediately to finalize an acquisition, at least pick up the phone and call the CEO to ask if the request is legitimate. And yes, that scheme has been tried and it does work. If it's a message that claims to be from your bank, pick up the phone. Confirm the request. Any message with an attachment or a URL should be doubly suspect. First, does the presumed sender typically include links or attachments? If not, a call or email would be a reasonable precaution. Crooks know that links are the most suspicious elements they can send, so increasingly they're placing links inside what appear to be less threatening attachments. Computers have antivirus and anti-malware applications installed. Organizations often have anti-phishing applications on their networks. That's all essential, but it's not sufficient. We are all ultimately responsible for our own online security. If Adobe made automobiles, you would rent the car, and every month an Adobe technician would come to the car and make some subtle changes, and once a year the company would take back the automobile and leave a new one in its place. But Adobe makes software, not automobiles. The December updates for the photography suite are both subtle and profound. For example, you might not even notice that Lightroom Classic, the desktop application, now gives users the ability to move tasks around on the develop panel. That is a very subtle change because you won't even notice it unless you right-click one of the develop panel headers. If you do, you'll find a new option, Customize Develop Panel. Choose that and you'll see a list of headers. From there, you can turn one or more of them off if you never use it, that seems unlikely. But the more essential ability allows the user to move header panels around. Why? Well, maybe you like to use lens corrections before you open the basic panel. 
but Lens Corrections is down in the bottom half of the list. Placing it at the top means you'll spend less time scrolling. Time is probably less important than wear and tear on your hand. Adobe seems to be paying a lot of attention to the user interface and making it possible for users to modify the application to best fit their own needs. A performance improvement worth noting is the speed with which Lightroom switches between library and develop modes. This had become objectionably sluggish, particularly on high-resolution monitors, and the December update is noticeably faster. Those who use collections will be happy about a feature that allows images to be imported directly into a collection. In the past, this was a two-step process. Import the images, then add them to a collection. It's another small but significant time saver. Lightroom CC, the mobile version that also works on desktop systems, continues to mature. The sharing option has been improved by adding an option that makes it possible to limit sharing of images in a folder to only those images with a specific flag or a specific star rating or a combination. And users of Lightroom CC on Android and Chrome OS devices will see a new Shared Albums tab. They may notice the ability for ad hoc photo shares. Those who use Lightroom CC on iOS devices won't see anything new this time around, but more significant updates are planned for early next year. And an impatient Chloe cat hopes I'll get to her before next year. Actually, I'll do that as soon as I tell you about spare parts, which you'll find only on the website. This week, this is the time of the year for phony shipping messages. If you're looking for cheap airfares, one online service says the key to success is flexibility. And a new service aims to make logins from mobile devices easier and thereby to improve financial performance for companies. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.